From fast cars to incredible finds. In the next 10 minutes, we'll get the lowdown on what's up in the world. I'm Bethany Van Delft, and this is the 10 News. Hey, tenors, guess what? Spring has sprung! Flowers are blooming, bees are buzzing, brooks are babbling. That's what brooks do, right? Babble? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, there are lots of ways people mark the coming of the spring season. A common one is with a holiday. One example is the Jewish festival of Passover, which began on Saturday. There was also the Hindu festival of Holi on March 28th and 29th. The Christian holiday Easter is coming up on April 4th. And the Muslim holiday Ramadan, based on the lunar calendar, so the date changes from year to year, will last all the way from mid-April to mid-May. Every holiday has its own traditions and significance. Passover includes the Seder, a ritual feast where the story of ancient Israelites moving out of Egypt is retold. Many Christians in the United States go to church on Easter Sunday, then come home and have a big meal with family and friends. The holiday also often includes dyeing Easter eggs, getting Easter baskets, and eating lots of chocolate bunnies. Holy involves people throwing brightly colored powders and water at each other. How fun. And Ramadan is a period of fasting, which means Muslims observing the holiday don't eat or drink during the daytime for the entire month of Ramadan. But the holiday ends with a three-day feast. These holidays differ from one another, but there are common themes in all of them, like spending time with family, giving thanks for what we have, eating special foods, and getting together in celebration. What's your favorite springtime tradition? Send us a note at hello at the10news.com and let us know. As National Reading Month comes to an end, our correspondent Ryan Nurse caught up with one super cool author and her grammar-obsessed alter ego. Since we're coming to the end of both Women's History Month and National Reading Month, it seems only appropriate to talk to an awesome female author. So I reached out to Lisa Papadimitrio, who's very funny and has literally written more books than she can count. I have written and published uh, over 20 books, but I actually wrote a lot more under what's called a pseudonym. And that is like a a pen name, a false name. Lisa writes mainly middle grade fiction, which means she makes her stories up and they're written for kids aged 8 to 12. In other words, her audience is basically you. And I'm going to guess some of you out there might be interested in one day writing your own books. Your first question might be, how do I start? I always start with a character and then I just need to come up with a problem for them. Um, And once you have the problem, it's kind of, if it's big enough problem, it's pretty easy to see where it will go. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Do go on. If you start with a character, say a Sasquatch, and okay, you have a Sasquatch, that's not necessarily going anywhere. But what if the Sasquatch has a problem? He could want to make friends with a little dog and the dog is scared of him. Okay, that's one kind of story. Hmm, right. I'm not quite sold on this story yet. Uh, He could be accused of committing a crime 
uh, that he didn't commit. Okay, getting closer. He could be captured and forced to attend sixth grade. Sold. I love it. I'd read that book. So once you have the problem, it's much, much easier to think of a whole bunch of moments that could follow. Sounds so creative. Lisa uses her life to help create entire plots. For example, she grew up in Texas, and her husband is Pakistani-American. So one of her books, A Tale of Highly Unusual Magic, is set half in Texas and half in Pakistan. And then there's the book she's working on now. It is based somewhat on my life about being in kind of a blended family. It's about a girl who makes uh, friends with a girl who wears a hijab. But also, her parents are divorced, and she was she her dad's happily remarried, but she, now she kind of wants her mom to also... She feels like her mom deserves that, too. So Lisa incorporates details, like her own parents' divorce, into the bigger themes of her books. But she says good writing is also about the little things. I like grammar. I think it's a game. And so I always tell people, like, I do not believe... In Grammar Police, I only believe in maximum sentences. Extra credit if you got the criminal justice joke in there. Lisa believes so deeply in maximizing sentences with good grammar that she's created a character to help you out with that. Hello, darlings. I'm Ivana Correctia, Grammar Diva. And today we are going to be talking about buts and ands, and all sorts of conjunctions and the commas who love them. Take it from Ivana Correctia and Lisa. If you don't put commas in the right places, the result can be very confused readers. And that's not just important in writing, but in life as well. My husband actually one time went on a trip to Las Vegas because someone didn't include a comma in an email. So if you want to not send people on random trips... Do your grammar homework. And if you want to be an author, you have just one assignment. The most important thing you can do is read. Read as much as you can. Read a whole variety of stuff. You know, uh, graphic novels, poetry, you know, plays, um, novels, novellas. On that note, all I have left to say is, from Lisa P. and me, grab a book and enjoy what's left of National Reading Month. Have you ever heard a sound like this before? No? That's the sound of a car going over 200 miles an hour. That's right, over 200 miles per hour. What? Cheetahs, the world's fastest land animal, only run about 70 miles per hour. And your average Amtrak train Tops out at about 170 miles per hour. Goodbye. The driver of the car you just heard is competing against 19 other drivers in the sport called Formula One. F1 is the highest level of international auto racing for formula cars, meaning cars that are built around a similar design with one seat, powerful engines, and wheels that are outside the body of the car. Awesome. You might not be as familiar with it as baseball or football, because only one F1 race takes place in the United States. And only one team is based in the U.S., the Haas team. Throughout the season, teams participate in anywhere from 8 to 23 races in different countries around the world. And yes, it is a team sport. 
Each car only has one driver, but every team has two cars. The two drivers actually compete against each other as well as the other teams, scoring points for both themselves and for their teams in races that can last up to two hours. Cool. The rest of the team is made up of the pit crew who are ready to jump in and fix a car if it has any problems. And the team principal, who's kind of like the coach. And we can't forget about the engineers who design and build the cars, which can cost millions of dollars to put together. Now, you might be saying to yourself, this sounds a lot like NASCAR, except that Formula One drivers are going almost 30 miles an hour faster. Wow. Also, while NASCAR tracks are basically just big ovals, F1 tracks are all different shapes. Some with hairpin turns that require the driver to completely change the direction they're heading without losing too much speed or crashing. Also different and pretty cool is the fact that all F1 cars are hybrids. And by 2030, the sport aims to be entirely carbon neutral, meaning the cars will create zero air pollution. Way to go. The 2021 season kicked off with the first race on March 28th and the next race, or Grand Prix as they're known, is scheduled for April 18th in Italy. Ecco zia citante! And now... What? What? What's the big idea? Trivia on the 10. Which of the following items found at a yard sale turned out to be an ancient artifact worth $500,000? Was it A, a cheese grater, B, a clay pot, or C, a porcelain bowl? Did you guess it? The answer is... C. A porcelain bowl purchased at a Hartford, Connecticut yard sale for $35 turned out to be a 15th century Chinese artifact. The white bowl with dark blue paintings of flowers on its inner and outer sides is pretty small, only 16 centimeters in diameter, and is one of only seven of its kind known to exist in the world today. Just another example of how one person's trash is another person's treasure. Yeah, say that again. That's it. Time's up. But before we go, here's a quick note for the grown-ups. What's up, tenors? It's official. We launched the 10 News Tenors Club. It's new. It's awesome. And we want you to be a part of it. Join now as a founding member and you'll get an exclusive shout out on the show. Plus, your very own printable Tenors Club Press Pass. Don't wait. Get in on the fun and be one of the first to join. We made it easy. Just click the link in today's show notes or visit the10news.com to sign up today. Thanks for listening to The 10 News. Look out for our new episodes on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and extras on Saturdays. The 10 News is a co-production of Small But Mighty Media and Next Chapter Podcasts and is distributed by iHeartRadio. Our editorial director is Tracy Crooks, editing and sound design by Pete Musto, who also co-wrote today's episode with Ben Austin DeCampo. Our creative producer is Jenner Pasqua, 
Stephen Tompkins is our head of audience development, and our production assistant is Sarah Olander. Ryan Nurse contributed to today's episode. Our production director is Jeremiah Tittle, and The 10 News is executive produced by Donald Albright and show creator Tracy Leeds Kaplan. Would you like to be part of the show? Do it! Have a grown-up help you record a question, a joke, or a fun fact you want to share, and email it to us at hello at the10news.com. And show your love for The 10 News by going to your favorite podcast app and submitting a rating and review. It helps others find the show so they can join the fun too. I'm Bethany Van Delft, and thanks for listening to The 10 News. Ci vediamo dopo!